Alright, I got it. Okay. Welcome back. Uh, we're here again to talk about old video games and uh, some of our thoughts on them. We're going to cover a few different franchises today. Uh, mostly dealing with sort of a flight simulator kind of feel, but we might meander off onto other things along the way. Uh, we'll be dealing with the Pilot Wings series, the Star Fox series, and the Rogue Squadron series. Uh, now, I never really got to play much of the Rogue Squadron stuff growing up, and I uh, had a lot of trouble getting the emulators to work in the process of trying to get them to play this, this last week. So, David will have to take a lot of that stuff, but I did have a lot of luck with the Star Fox stuff. Anybody that's uh, tried to deal with the, the the Dolphin emulator will know that the uh, the games run pretty well on that stuff. So, I guess we'll start with the uh, the Pilot Wing stuff. Sounds good to me. Yeah, these were originally kind of like a tech demo, as far as far as I could anything I could read up on it. So, like when they came out with something new, they put out a Pilot Wings, you know, a game for it. And it would kind of show off the specs of the system. And I think I don't think it was originally intended to be as fun as the games really are. Yeah, because they are really fun games. And, uh, you know, what stood out to me is you have uh, two things going on. It's, it's largely nonviolent, which is kind of different. For once, you're not blowing stuff up. Well, until the 64 and, one. <laughs> right. Right. And then you're blowing up a giant mech who's also blowing other stuff up. Yeah, I think in the last stage in the SNES version, you go on this little kind of helicopter combat mission. But after, but other than that, it, it's almost entirely nonviolent. Uh, the you know, it, it's as you're talking about, it's a great showcase for the sort of Mode Seven graphics that Super Nintendo was always touting. You know, you have these uh, these landscapes that are just obviously scaling with your altitude and. And look pretty good. It gives a good sense of movement. It looked really damn good on, on the the Super NES version. Like it's still going back. It blows me away how well they handled the graphics on that stuff. Right. Like like I said, just it gives you the best comment or compliment I can give it is it really does give you a good sense of movement and position as you're playing it, which is a hard thing to accomplish. Well, in, in a two D environment for right. sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I can remember uh, booting it up and playing as a kid, and it being just, it felt like you were in a 3D landscape. Right. And that's super impressive, you know, considering what, what other developers and stuff were doing at the time. It, it wasn't quite as, you know, later on in the Super NES, like, lifespan, you came out with some really good games that uh, that gave you a lot of that depth of field and stuff, but the Wings was really one of the first. Oh, yeah. I mean, since we're going to be talking about it anyways, think of the little Star Wars games that came out for the SNES. They all use those kinds of Mode 7 graphics in their little, like, uh, vehicle sections. Like, you would always have a section with a speeder or an X-Wing or whatever, and that's what they would use to give that sense of, of movement and, uh, and, and place for the aircraft. Yeah, we're going to get into some more about Star Fox, but it's even more impressive that Pilot Wings did what it did when you look at the way Star Fox was made. Because Star Fox had an extra chipset right. built into the to the cartridge. All right, Pilot Wings was just SNES hardware. So 
they did stuff that looked just as good as the Star Fox graphic, if not better, in my opinion. And they didn't even have the, the, the math chip to make it do that. Right. That's crazy, dude. Just sprites and, and scaling, it's really. It's just, just good design, good game design. And it's still, that's true today. You can still have great looking games and you don't have to have crazy graphics or, or insane 3D worlds to get it. Like, you look at games, the Ori series, you, there's two of those. I haven't I haven't been able to play the second one yet. My computer's not powerful enough to run it. Yeah, when you're um, talking about, like, good graphic design here is what we're talking about, right? Yes, and and then the, uh, the Hollow Knight series. Hollow Knight, okay. So they had really cartoony 2D graphics, but it felt like a 3D world in a sense. So especially with Ori and the Blind Forest, it really felt like you were in that game. Sure. Art direction counts for a lot. I mean, I played uh, Trine not too long ago, which is just sort of a a 2D puzzle game where you're playing three different characters and you swap out their abilities to solve puzzles. And then, you know, that that sense of art was, was fantastic. And it does draw you in. And and I think I think I think art direction and sound are kind of under a lot of people focus on let's make the gameplay really good. You don't you don't necessarily have to have super good graphics either. No, uh, you you can have really basic like for instance Stardew Valley that came out a few years ago. The the graphics in that are really minimal, two D kind of in NES kind of level right. graphics. Right. But the depths of the game and the story in the game are so good that, that you can kind of overcome it. So it kind of goes both ways, I guess. So you can have really shitty graphics and have a good game if you put the time into the story in the game. Or you can have a really good experience with, with good graphics in minimal story. So I guess it just... you got to have, I think, two of the three pillars of a game. Story, art... And music. If you can get two of those right, I think you can come out with something really good. I think uh, for Pilot Wings, what would you say? The uh, graphics, innovation, and gameplay? Because there really isn't too much of a story there. You're just a dude getting pilot license. I think that's (laughs) the graphics and the gameplay. So the music, I I couldn't name a single song from that game. Like if you played them all right now, it wouldn't tick over in my head as something to remember from that. No, it's, it's just kind of calming elevator music sort of stuff. It's, it, nothing really stands out to me. But they got two out of the three right. Bingo. And they did a great job at it. So, And it, it wasn't just the original Pilot Wings. So when they came out with the NES, or, or the N64, they decided to put out another Pilot Wings sort of as a tech demo. And it was fantastic as well. Right. And I, I remember putting a ton of time into this one as a kid. Oh, me a lot, too. A lot more than the Super NES title. Me too. I barely ever played the Super NES title, especially when I was a kid. But uh, but I owned the uh, N64 title, and I played the snot out of that. So. I can I remember waking up on, uh, on Saturday mornings, and I had a buddy that lived in town, and he would come over, and we would play the cannonball section. <laughs> over and yes. over and over again and it was just it was so neat there was all there were two games that had like just stupid little sections like that i think twisted metal was one of them that we played on it was like a little later on the playstation right right uh, and we played pilot wings so i mean and that says a lot like it was up there and how fun you could you could have it, it was just a single player game 
but you still had fun with two people. And that's something that's a little harder to find, to define, but games like Pilot Wings and <laughs> Pause. Dogs. <laughs> Dogs. But no, but games like uh games like Pilot Wings and others really did have just a great sense of fun, which which that's something that's a lot harder to really pin down, but I mean, what can be more fun than shooting a guy to target out of a cannonball, you know? It just, and it worked. And, and I mean, you had, I don't know, it was just stuff that, that seemed, like, action-packed. So you had jetpacks. Right. Hang gliders, skydiving, cannonballs. I mean, the, the really, the only thing that was kind of boring about the game to me was the planes. Yeah, you know, even with the plane, I, I was sort of saying this quote-unquote, it wasn't really a plane, it was a gyrocopter. Yeah, it was, what did they call it, an, an auto-gyro? Yeah, something like that, auto-gyro, but it was a gyrocopter, and, you know, it had its own little unique control scheme. Which, you know, speaking of controls, it's one of the things that interests me about the Pilot Wing games. I had a little note here that it just simply said the controls, uh, they're predictable, but they're not necessarily precise. The wind... Especially in the 64 version, it would fuck you up bad. And, that, and that's a part, yeah. And I mean, that's a part of the gameplay, right? It, it's just learning to challenge challenge yourself with these different control schemes. like and, and like the rocket belt, especially. You had to be so cautious about your momentum or you would go all over the place. And that was, it was really one of the most fun sections of the game was the jetpack. I mean, right. it, it was really precise if you could do it right. But if you messed it up, you just went spinning all out of control. It was a lot of fun. Right. Uh, the hang glider. I'm not so sure. I had a lot of fun with the hang glider. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it. It was just it was tough. You had to manage that altitude and speed so carefully. But but yeah, the but I had the most. I had the most fun with this, the the jetpack, the cannonball, and you know, the 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 skydiving wasn't really much different gameplay than say the hang glider, but it just felt different. Right. Um. And I, I really like that. And one one thing that this this game had above the original Pilot Wings is you actually had character selects and stuff like that. Right. It did nothing for the gameplay. Really, um, you don't think so? I don't think it. I mean, other than just add a different way of looking at, at like a different skin for the person flying or whatever. Uh, I don't think it really added anything to the gameplay. I remember, like, the attributes of the characters would change the attributes of the craft a little bit. Like, if you put one of the heavy dudes in the hang glider, it, it, it was a lot more sluggish. Whereas if you put one of the light dudes in there, it handled so much more See, easily. I, to I totally missed that if that was a game from Canada. Yeah. I picked the green chick every time. The green chick. <laughs> I, I can't remember what the green chick was. I it was you... like Ibis or something. I remember you had like, you know, a real big heavy dude and you had a sort of uh, sort of tall, lanky dude that seemed to do well the rocket belts. And then you had like the real light guys, like the Nestor looking guy that was, uh, I forget what, the, he wasn't called Nestor in the game, but he looked like Nestor. And he, he was really good with like the hang gliders and things like that, if I remember correctly. And I think some of it was just a preference. Like maybe you would want to mix some of these up for some purpose or not. You know, maybe you wanted a little more heft in the hang glider. But most of the time, you wanted the light dude. Well, I'm going to have to go back and check that out. Because I totally, I played the hell out of the game and never even knew that was a mechanic. Yeah, yeah, it changes things up. Alright, well... Later on, after the 64 version, there there was a another version. This is this is one I never even knew existed until I started researching on this stuff. It was a Pilot Wings Resort game. 
Uh, was it 3DS? Yeah, for was the 3DS. I've got a 3DS, but I never, I never knew this game existed. So maybe I'll have to. Oh. I, I don't know the first thing about that one because I, I just found out about it like last night when I was doing a little reading around. I, it was, it was modeled after the. You remember when the Wii's came out? They had that resort franchise kind of thing. Okay. Uh, so like the the Mii Resort. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, it was yeah, kind yeah. of based on on that kind of thing, and it it was. Apparently, it was a launch title for the 3DS. Hmm. Uh, so, I'm, I may have to, to hunt that down and we can give it a try because uh, you can emulate a 3DS, but it's really a pain in the ass to play and emulate a title <laughs> on the 3DS. I have to imagine, doesn't that use a stylus for so much of what you do? Yeah, that's the or problem. You can yeah. use your mouse on an emulation, but it just doesn't feel the same. But, I, but like I said, I've got a 3DS, so, so maybe I'll have to order that and we'll have to give it a try at some other time. Because if it was half as one of the other games, it's got to be pretty decent. Makes me kind of surprised that they didn't release a Pilot Wings for the GameCube. I mean, it was like a release title for... Or the Wii. You yeah, think or the, about how the much original fun Wii the either. Wii would have yeah. been with motion controls and playing this. Yeah, that's true. Oh, uh, I, I don't know. It's maybe the... Uh, I mean, because the 3DS wasn't that... It was sort of in the same time period as the Wii and the Wii U. Uh, and it's still kind of out today, so why, why did it get a Pilot Wings game and the other ones didn't? Uh, I, I don't know. That, that's... I don't want to jump ahead too much, but you know, it may have been that they knew they were going to get another flight game releasing with the GameCube, that being Rogue Leader. So it may have been that they were like, eh, too many flight games at once might not, you know, be... Might feel like they were competing against each other. Or you might, you might be right. Um, and that that's a good transition into the Star Fox series, in my opinion. Why not? Let's just uh, go to. I mean, this is this is the big one right here, Star Fox. And right? I just I want to talk about the GameCube came out, and like you said, they had a decent flight sim, flight simulator type game in in Rogue Squadron. Uh, it, it was Rogue Leader for the. Uh, for the GameCube, Game right? GameCube, right, right. So, they had one of those, and then they released Star Fox Adventures, which came, which came out in 2002, and it wasn't a flight simulator game. No. Uh, and this this is real. This has always kind of puzzled me, is uh, why they decided to transition into a Zelda-type control scheme and a Zelda type adventure game for the Star Fox series because you, you don't you don't see a lot of those besides the Mario uh, type games where he transitions over into all kind of stuff like puzzle games or oh yeah Mario like Dr. Mario yeah. or, or any of that but he's one of like this is this is a real 180 when it comes to to the different types of gameplay with adventures uh, I really don't think anybody saw Star Fox fighting with a spear prior to this. It was it was really good though. Uh, it I really enjoyed it playing it. I remember playing it uh, when I was younger. Uh, I never owned a GameCube, but I had a buddy that that had one, and we would stay up and play Star Fox Adventures. We'd take turns between deaths and stuff. But sometimes that took a long time because this it really was a Zelda clone, uh, just reskinned and sort of a. Star Fox kind of way. It yeah, was, that's that's what I gathered from it. Like I said, this is one of those that I never played, but I gathered that it was more along that adventure RPG kind of game that you know Zelda sort of feels the shoes of. It was good. It was a. I mean, there's not a lot to say about it. Just go play the game. It was a really freaking good. Uh, and you know, 
it's so strange because going back to the original Star Fox, uh, this was released in 1993 for the uh, the Super NES. Uh, it was completely different gameplay wise. You, this was a legit space shooter, right? And like we said, it, it was it was pretty revolutionary for its time. So, Star the original Star Fox game, like I say, it came out with that uh, graphics chip, which allowed it to do things that you you didn't normally see. It was called an an, an FX chip. Uh, and it just allowed it to do to do more uh, code math code wise right. in a certain amount of time than than your standard cartridge. Right, and we can thank Argonaut Software for that. Uh, which uh, that was a fascinating little story is that they were in the middle of developing a game like Star Fox on the uh, Super Nintendo hardware, the development consoles, and they got to a certain point, and they basically told Nintendo, well. This is as far as we can go. I think they had a demo uh, from looking around. I watched a YouTube a YouTuber called Game Historian, and I think he said that the demo was running at like 3 FPS. Jesus. And they told him, and said, look, this is as good as we got unless we can develop some custom hardware for this. And they weren't really expecting to get much of that. I think uh, Jez San, who was a, the head of the group, he was still a really young guy at that point. He had started the software group in the 80s when he was a teenager. And uh, they weren't really expecting to get much of a response from that. But Nintendo offers them a million dollars to develop some custom hardware. Nintendo don't fuck around with <laughs> to, to new not. shit. They are willing to try it. And a lot of times the stuff works. Right. And in this case, of course, it was a knockout. They developed the FX chip, which is a very powerful chip to put in the cartridge. I think uh, San had uh, joked that, you know, the Super Nintendo was a box to which to house the FX chip. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and they're able to create this this wonderful 3D game of Star Fox. Uh, yeah, it was it was fantastic. I, I remember playing the crap out of this game going up. It was hard, too. It was a challenging game. There are certainly harder games on the Super Nintendo, but it, it was a challenge. But it felt, it felt like you were flying through space. Right. Even going back, like, this last week and playing this game again, it was just, it's amazing what they did with that. For the Super NES era? Yeah, it really is. Again, it's that having that good sense of, of motion and speed uh, that, re- that really draws you in. It, it was... It almost holds up better than the 64 version. So Ooh, Star Fox 64 was great, but going back and playing the other two, it's, the graphics don't quite hold up as well like we talked about sure. before. Of course they're not. Uh, they, 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 they don't hold up as well as the the pixelated graphics, which is crazy. Uh, but yeah, it was Star Fox 1993 was it was revolutionary. So not only was it just a knockout of the of a game, it was great to play. It added technology that made future games better as well. Yeah, the FX chip was pretty incredible. They didn't. Uh, I played a several of the FX games. Like there was some that didn't get quite as much uh, attention, like Vortex, for example. Uh, not a whole lot of people, I think, played that. I don't think I've even. Yeah, you may not have even heard of it. It was developed by Argonaut Software. It was uh, published by Electrobrain. Fun game. It kind of falls into this arcade flight thing because there are sections of it to deal with that, but that's only because your machine that you play as is like a transformer. 
You can be a walking mech, which is how you play most of the game. You transform into a car, a plane, and all. It was a really fun game, and it was full 3D. It wasn't Corridor, which was a pretty big development at the time. And I'm not sure if it was running on the second generation of FX chip that they developed or if it was the older one, because they came out with a second generation, you know, that they were going to develop Star Fox 2 on, but they never got really got there for different reasons. That's one thing to talk about, too. I haven't played it yet, but apparently they, they released, or they had developed a sequel to Star Fox. They absolutely did, and it has been released now. On the Like, if you buy one of those little miniature Super Nintendo Classics collection, just a little miniature thing that hooks into your TV, it's on there. That's what I say. I've got to go back and play that um, and, and see, because it's just so weird that you had such a big game that made so much money for for Nintendo, you had a second game finished, why not release it? I think the concern with Nintendo was, this. its release date would have been either in 95 or 96. You know, this is just a year prior to when you're going to get Star Fox 64 anyways. And the 32-bit systems were already rolling out. And Nintendo was afraid that this just wouldn't look good. Because while Star Fox 2 would have, you know, blown everything out of the water back in the 16-bit days, by the time you get to the 32-bit world, it looks dated. Yeah, I can see that. And I, so I guess part of it was just an image problem. Another part of it is I think they just wanted to shift whatever resource they had into developing Star Fox 64 to make a real competitor with what was out there. Well, and I mean, Star Fox 64 was definitely revolutionary for the time. This, I, I played the absolute crap out of this game growing up. Right. I can remember playing the multiplayer all the time with friends. I can right. remember playing through and trying to get every different path through the map. <laughs> sure. Um, I can remember screaming at missing a you know a little loop that you had to fly through to get something to unlock, and it was just so well done. Like it was. Say, the game gameplay wise, music wise, it was amazing, and at the time. The visuals were amazing as oh, well. Oh, yeah. The visuals were super good. Uh, definitely at the time. I actually still like the visuals pretty well. I agree that there are places where you look at some of the texture works on some of the environments and things, and you're like, oh, yeah, that looks dated now. But there's it, other places where it still holds up. It still works better today than a lot of the N64 games did. Right. It's it's much more attractive. Uh, and, I, and I think it's because it was, it was dealing with kind of a further back viewpoint so you you think you know uh, the all wings are they're big spaceships right so you're kind of zoomed out and everything works a little better in the low resolution graphics when you're further away so right. like it felt like the graphics weren't as bad as they really were right i mean if you want to see something ugly get right in the face of one of those soldiers in goldeneye oh dear god <laughs> today that looks ugly i can remember a couple years back being so psyched uh, i had some people over i was gonna we were gonna go play goldeneye because we hadn't played it in in 10 years or so and we we all got together we, we hooked up an emulator and we had controllers, legit N64 controllers and everything. And we launched the game to play the multiplayer. And everybody's like, what the hell is this? This looks like shit. I can't even <laughs> see what I'm doing. Yeah, it's, it's hard to go back to. It is. It, I mean, I still love the game. And man, did I love it when it came out. But you got to admit, you go back and you look at this stuff. 
we've come a long way. The controls, um, they just they're hard to work with. You know, you think you play modern first-person shooters, and you're used to just a free movement up, down, left, right. You didn't really get that with with them old school shooters like Doom or or Goldeneye. You just turned left or right, and you just kind of shot what was in front of you. Uh, or so, karate chopped it. Yeah, <laughs> forget that. It, so it's hard to go back to the, them old school graphics like that. And I still, I still catch myself thinking, man, I'm I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna play one of these older games. And then you boot it up and you're like, oh my god, this looks like crap. So I could easily do it. I mean, after you kind of get into the groove of it, you, you just have to give your time to adjust to the older control schemes and and just sort of let your mind and your eyes adjust to like the older graphics. After that. It's not too hard. I don't know, man. I think we differ on that one. I can go back. (laughs) It is that hard. (laughs) I can go back to a 32-bit or 8-bit, and the game still look and feel great. Right. But then early 3D graphics just suck so much compared to what you're used to nowadays. There's, I mean, when I was a kid, and when I still think back in my head on these games, like, in my mind, they looked real at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you're a kid, this this is as good as it gets. It's not going to get better than this. And and now you go back and you're like, this can't be what it was. It, it must have <laughs> been different. Um, but but no, they were, just, they were just bad graphics. But one that still holds up, in my opinion, is the Star Fox 64. I mean, no, just... and, and like I said, that was kind of the issue with Star Fox 2, is, is about the time it would have released, you would have had some of the release games for the PlayStation 1, like Wipeout, I don't think... Air Combat, or Ace Combat as it's now known, was too far down the pipe. And, you know, of course these things look a lot better than Star Fox and the FX chip could have had any hope to do. Yep. And and, and after it, you transitioned into the GameCube era. And this is where we were at a little earlier with Star Fox Adventures. And and it was such a good game. It it, it was cut different than the rest of the mold. Uh, So the game was, was... it wasn't completely about like a flight simulator or whatever. And and it turned out really well. And now we're going to get into Assault. Okay. So Star Fox Assault. It was released in 2005. And I got a lot to say about this game because it was, <laughs> it was fucking awful. And it's because I can remember, and it's not just me going back and trying to play this as, you know, 15 years afterwards or whatever. The game is just bad and what really pissed me off about this is you got a taste of what this game could have been in the first level it's a great opening level you open into this insane space battle the graphics are mind-blowing the controls are freaking amazing and you're like oh my god this is gonna be the greatest game i've ever played and it's it's that way for about 10 minutes and then they're going to ruin everything. <laughs> so, I don't know who at Namco, cause, and this is where the problem came over, because it transitioned from uh, a Rare game in, in the previous versions into a Namco game in Assault. But whoever at Namco decided that it was a good idea to make a space-fighting flight simulator into a first-person shooter needs to be dragged out of their office and hanged from a tree because this it it's awful it's awful and i know a lot of people will say that it was a good game 
Oh, and, and I, I just can't see it. I'm still, I'm still one of those people. I enjoyed it well enough. I, I, I agree that the uh, ground shooting sections felt kind of janky. Uh, but and overall, I think, I think it would have been in my mind. I think it would have been all right if you'd only had one, maybe two levels of that stuff. I totally agree there. Instead of it being like half the game. But and then because then you had the the controls were really what got me on that. Like I had so much problems going back and trying to play this now. Uh, and I remember having issues with targeting and stuff like that when I played it before. Uh, but you you got those crappy on the ground controls, and they transition over to the tank, which you know there was a, there were several levels in the game that revolved around tank combat, and the tank didn't work it, that well for me either. I just I did not enjoy the gameplay. I think probably the most annoying thing for me when you're on the ground in a lot of these levels is you still had to cover for your wingman up in the air. Which is so, <laughs> freaking ridiculous. So, look, could you guys just go home if you can't do any better than like, that, please? You are pointless. Falco, he held his own in that series. But, of course, in typical Star Fox style, you got fucking Peppy. No, I think you mean Slippy. Slippy. Slippy, yes. Slippy. Slippy Toad. Peppy was the rabbit, right? Yes, Peppy was the rabbit. Slippy was the asshole. <laughs> and, and, and this wasn't even just in this game. It was in every Star Fox game. He was the fuck up in everything he did. You were constantly saving his ass. Bailing Slippy out. And, I mean, I can remember playing in the N64 version as a kid. And I can remember actively making... The, you know, just, I'm not going to save this fucking frog anymore. <laughs> you died, Slippy. And I just, I would completely ignore him when he got attacked, so he would get knocked off the screen. I, you know, I hated him. And the N64 punished you for that, because he was the one that gave you, like, the shield and energy readouts on bosses. So, yeah. if you didn't save Slippy, you didn't know how you were doing on the boss. Oh, well. I can deal with it. <laughs> Screw Slippy. Just keep shooting it till it dies. But, yeah, so... The Star Fox series, it was it was a pretty long one up to that point. Uh, that went it transitioned into a weird kind of quasi space themed shooter. I mean, it, it was just really bizarre the way they did assault. It's kind of funny because I think a lot of the Namco team that worked on that were were a lot of the same team that did the Ace Combat series for the PlayStation, which would explain why the, the flight sections that are there are so dang good. It might also explain why the shooting sections maybe aren't. I, you're probably right. Um, I, but, you know... Stick to what you know, guys. It got into, later on in 2006, uh, they came out with, with Command, Star Fox Command. And it went back to the kind of original old school gameplay. It was alright. It was, it was just alright, I guess. Um, and, and I'm not sure if it was just... I just enjoyed it less because I was sick of the series at that point because the salt just soured me on Star Fox. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we had that version, um, you had Star Fox Zero, which is the, the most recent one that came out in, um, uh, in 2016, that was on the Wii U, and there were a butt ton of other Star Fox titles along yeah, the way. Yeah, I think they, they even made some kind of tower defense game with yeah, the Star I, Fox, I, I, I don't even remember the name. That. I think it was released as like a combo for, for one of the systems, um, I think it may have been for Zero, or it was either Zero Command when they released that. They had like a dual pack, and you got the tower defense game, and you got the, the Star Fox game at one. 
Um, but I mean, it, all in all, it, it worked. And it's one of the reasons we're talking about it today. It worked a lot, like at least in its early years, um, kind of a kind of a way to implement new software into systems. Yeah, that's that. I think that's such a characteristic of a lot of these games because, again, kind of. It's one of the things uh, the game historian mentioned on his YouTube channel that kind of made me think. Innovation followed these games pretty well. He was talking pretty much just about Star Fox. But you think about the FX chip with the original Star Fox. And then what happens when the N64 comes around? You get the Rumble Pack. It was the first game for the N64 with a Rumble Pack. Yeah, and now that's integrated into practically every controller you buy. Whether it's PlayStation, Xbox, or what. Then with the, uh, you know, the Rogue Squadron game, I believe this was the first game that really made extensive use of the memory expansion pack for N64. It allowed you to raise the resolution of the graphics. And then Rogue Leader comes out for GameCube, and while it didn't do anything all that outstanding in terms of, you know, new devices or so, it was so well constructed in its graphics, and it made such good use of the GameCube's ability for anti-aliasing that the textures and things looked super sharp. I mean, it looks good. To give you an idea of how ridiculous Rogue Leader was graphically-wise, I still cannot run that game today on an emulator. Right. It's, it's going to, like, triple up your processor speed to run it on an emulator. So, I mean, it's it's a fantastic... I remember them being fantastic games. Uh, I remember the one for the 64. Uh, I remember playing that as a kid. I don't remember it as vividly as I do the Star Fox games. You know, my opinion about Rogue, uh, the original Rogue Squadron, really fun game. If you like these sort of things, you'll, you'll like it. If you're a Star Wars fan, you'll love it. Uh, but, you know, I would put it in the category of really, really good, not necessarily, like, great or fantastic. You know, it's, it's just a really, really, it's, I would say, you know, it's, it's just that side of great. You know, not something you just have to play, but if you like this sort of genre, you're really gonna like it. And other than that, you know, it, it had good gameplay, really good graphics for its time. Uh, you know, it was, it was a game full of little secrets that you could find and, and you know, uh, fast gameplay you could enjoy and roping walkers and taking them and all this kind of crazy Star Wars stuff you get to do flying through trenches. I do. I do. I remember having to fly and shoot the little things at the, the walkers and you had to fly around the legs. Right, right. Uh, I, can, I can definitely remember doing that as a kid. Uh, I don't know. I guess, I guess you know, after a certain point, and I'm not sure where I got to that point, It's in that time, they made everything movie-related into a video game. Right. And 99% of the time, if you bought a movie-themed video game, it was awful. Yeah. And I mean, you just almost unplayable. There were a few exceptions, of course, along the way, but, but I can remember... You know, going and buying a, a Jurassic Park game for the for the Sega Genesis, and it just really wasn't all that good. Uh, yeah. So I guess because it was a Star Wars game, I just kind of you know mentally shied away from that stuff from being burned in the past. Yeah, it's that's a funny little thing because I can think of plenty of movie tie-in games that were great. But like you said, about ninety percent of the time, that ain't it. <laughs> they well, are not great at all. Uh, you know, a lot of that was because, mostly because of one company at the time, and 
anybody that that plays a lot of older games knows about LJN. <laughs> yeah, we, we've and all heard about that. They put out a ton of themed games in that era, especially NES and Super NES kind of era games. And they were, if it's got an LJN sticker on the on the on the cartridge, just don't even buy it <laughs> because it unless you're just getting it for collection purposes, it's trash. Uh, you know, and I'm sure sprinkled here and there, there were some decent LGN games, but for the most part, if they made it, it was shit and bad. Thinking of all the ones that, you know, I'm saying are good off the top of my head, I can't think of of LJN with any of them. The first one that came to my mind for some reason was uh, Batman for the NES. Like the the first one, it was just kind of like a a Ninja Gaiden-like platformer. And Batman... Returns. Yeah, both. Uh, yeah, Batman um, Returns is pretty good. Was it was really good. Uh, in the first one, like I said, it's more like a platformer, and it was made. I think it was made by Sunsoft, and the second one was made by Konami. And then uh, when you get to the Star Wars games that we talked a little bit about for the SNES, you know, they were sort of action platformers, a little bit like Contra or something, and they were really good. And they also featured some of those Mode Seven graphics we were talking about. Yeah. And, you know, some people have mixed feelings about Shadows of the Empire, which is kind of a quasi-movie-based game, but uh, but I liked it. So, I, so sometimes they do all right, sometimes they don't. I don't know. It's just, like, and it's still that way today. Like, a lot Absolutely. of the... I mean, you do, you start to get, especially recently, you've started to get some better Star Wars-themed games, especially. Right. Uh, but, but even... I don't know. It seems like a lot of the themed stuff that's released nowadays is really geared toward children, and it's geared to sell a lot of copies just because it's got their picture on it. Yeah, and I think that's probably always been the problem. They probably just went with the lowest bidder, knowing that this thing was going to sell a pile just thanks to it, its name. It is. It's going to sell. <laughs> and, you know, and a perfect example of that, you go back, you you know, way back to the Atari. Uh, you think. How many people went out and bought, even though this game was a complete failure, how many people went out and bought the E.T. game? <laughs> right. And it's awful. I mean, it is it is one of the biggest steaming piles of crap <laughs> that's ever existed. And, the, you know, and everybody knows the story about Atari taking and burying thousands of copies of that game in the desert. Right. Somewhere out in the southwestern desert. I can't remember. New Mexico, Arizona. Or but it, it was, you know, it was this crazy urban legend for years until somebody actually went out there and found, found the site, which is, which is amazing. That's, that's the story true. we might get into at some point. Cause <laughs> it's just so bizarre. Um, but I mean, it, that wasn't the only game that they took out and buried in the desert. But they they did bury a bunch of copies of the old ET game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, going back into that old series of of like uh, games, the I remember the old Indiana Jones game. Right. Uh, was really bad. I don't. I'm not too familiar with those. I haven't played too many of those. Yeah, that's. We'll have to. We'll get into some of them old Atari yeah. level games, like because there were some really good Atari games. Because we're we're way off our glide path right now, as far as <laughs> flight sims sure. are concerned. But yeah, the, these games, they um the the flight simulators, they kind of paved the way for <laughs> like actual flight simulators that came on later on. Like I don't think you would have had as good of games like Microsoft Flight Simulator, IL-2 Sturmovic, or any of those games, I don't think, without going back to Pilot Wings, really. You it, might. It probably challenged them to up their game a bit. I know, I know of, they were they were kind of there before. Uh, 
Because I was going to say, you know, just looking at things that were kind of contemporary, like the PC was already doing things similar to this and, and doing a better job of it than Star Fox before Star Fox came out. I remember, I think it was the late 80s or real early 90s with something like uh, Chuck Yeager's uh, Combat or, or something, something a flight simulator with a similar name to that. And just looking at videos on it, it you know, it... it like I said, it looked better than Star Fox there years before Star Fox was released. and uh, But it was much more geared towards the sim crowd and not the arcade-style crowd, which, you know, is much more what Star Fox is. It's a shooter, kind of a fantasy shooter. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's these, these were... The early flight simulators were really good. Um, they made me like, you know, pretty much any kind of game in that genre. Yeah, I think they solidified the action shooter's place on consoles. You know, they kind of just said, oh yeah, this new 3D world, it can definitely handle it. And uh, there were, the, you know, the, there were other games that kind of dealt with, like, flight and stuff that, that kind of took it down a different path. You know, you had the smups. Oh yeah, the good um, old shoot-em-ups. That uh, they weren't in the 3D kind of look. Uh, there was more of a top-down. Oh yeah. Um, and, you know, there were a ton of those games that were really good at the time period. Oh, there were consoles that were practically designed around them, like the TurboGrafx-16. I think so many of its titles were, were that shoot 'em up base. And they're fun, especially multiplayer. Um, I think a lot more fun in multiplayer. And they still release sort of, sort of themed games, sort of like that nowadays. Um, but there was just something special about that 3D behind the, the aircraft kind of look that you got out of these things. Um, but yeah, so that pretty much covers what we were going to get into today. Uh, I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, we've still got, we don't know either. So, uh, at the time of recording this, you guys haven't heard any of this because we, we really need to have five or so episodes before we release any of this stuff online. Um, no one knows who we are. Nobody knows. Uh, and probably not going to anybody know who we are afterwards, but, <laughs> uh, we'll go with it and see what happens. Um. Uh, Brave New World. We'll we'll look into a website or whatever. Uh, I'll give you all that stuff, that information when we get it. So uh, I guess that's it for today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>